Relationships are wonderful, beautiful, messy things. And if we ever go in life, we know that pretty much anybody that we interact with, at some point in time, we enter into a relationship with them. It might be a close relationship like what we have with our spouses or with our children or even with our good friends, or it may be a very tense relationship like what we have with maybe our enemies. But everyone that we come in contact with, we have some sorts of relationship, and sometimes those relationships are good. Uh, Sometimes they're healthy, we have good interaction, we don't have a whole lot of problems, but sometimes those relationships are not so good. They're not that healthy, they cause tension and friction. And if you're like most people, you probably have a good dose of good relationships and a good dose of bad relationships. And they're just kind of intermingled. And sometimes we're really confused as to why, hey, this relationship over here is really good and this relationship's not so much. The Bible talks about our relationships with different people. And uh, there's one section of scripture that I want us to study over the next couple of weeks uh, that develops this idea of relationships and it gives different people and how they interacted with each other in different ways. So I want to study this and see what it has to say because I think. I think it could be encouraging to us. See, the people in the Bible, they were not perfect in any way, shape, or form. And these relationships that we're going to look at, some of them are good, but some of them, they mess up pretty badly. And for me, that's encouraging because it knows that even if I mess up in my relationships, I can still learn and I can still grow. And the men and the women that are found in the Bible, they're really no different than we are. Uh, Today, we're going to be talking about probably the most important relationship, and that's the one that you have with your spouse. Uh, If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Ruth. Uh, We're going to be in Ruth today. Uh, Ruth is found uh, just after the book of Judges and just before 1 Samuel. And so hopefully that helps you find the book of Ruth. I had a guy ask me yesterday what chapter of Ruth that we were going to study, and I don't typically do this. I told him we're going to study all of it. Um, and so it, it's, a, it's four chapters. We're not going to read all of it in detail, but I want us to highlight uh, some of the key characteristics of this book. Uh, the book of Ruth is about a young couple named Ruth and Boaz, And they look across a field and they meet eyes and they fall in love instantly. And it's not quite exactly like that, but it's close enough. Uh, It is a book about love and about what you can go through uh, to to seek the good for the other person. Uh, We're going to be starting in chapter one. I'm going to summarize the first seven uh, verses uh, to kind of get us the scene to understand what's going on in this book. Uh, In the first seven verses of this book, we read about a guy by name of Elimelech, and he has a wife by the name of Naomi. And uh, Elimelech and Naomi, they have two sons, and they live in the town of Bethlehem, uh, but a drought hits, and the drought is so severe that they decide that they are going to leave and go to the next country over the country of Moab. And so they head off to Moab. While they're there, their two sons marry two Moabite women. One's named Orpah, and the other is named Ruth. Uh, While they're living there also, a tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies, and their two sons die as well. Uh, We're not told exactly why they died, but we can probably guess a couple of different reasons if we really wanted to. 
All that matters is that they die. And Naomi decides that she's going to return back to her people. And so that sets up the scene. And what we have throughout the rest of the book is the story of Ruth and how she comes to be married to Boaz. And throughout the story, I think there's five attributes that I think we can learn from and that if we uh, practice in our lives with our spouses and with our family. We can have relationships with our family that are God-honoring. Uh, any relationship that we have, that ultimately should be the goal, to be glorifying God in what we're doing and be promoting the kingdom of God. And so these five attributes that we learn from the book of Ruth are going to help us glorify God in the way that we treat and live with and interact with our spouse. Uh, the first attribute that we find comes in the first chapter, uh, starting in verse 8, and it's the attributes of reverence for each other. Reverence for each other. Uh, here, here's what we read, starting in verse 8. Uh, Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's homes. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. And may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. And then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept out loud, and they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. Uh, Naomi is talking to her daughter-in-laws. Uh, she no longer has anything to offer them. Uh, in that society, uh, when you became a widow, the next closest a relative that was a male was supposed to marry you and uh, have a child with you so that the family legacy could continue. But Naomi has no more children to offer these ladies, and it's going to play out here in a second. And so she, as she's heading back to Bethlehem, turns to them and says, you guys go back home, find new husbands, and, and, and just leave me. You guys have been good to me, you've been kind to me, and that is great. Uh, they obviously had a good relationship with their in-laws, right? We sometimes joke about how we can't always get along with our in-laws and how you know, three days is probably a max good amount of time to spend with them. But these people, who knows how long they've been together, but they are committed to each other. And these two daughter-in-laws say to their mother-in-law, no, we are going with you. And so the story continues. Naomi implores them again in verse 11, saying, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who be can become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. To your, I, I am too old to have another husband. Even if, I, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain married for them, unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. And at this, they wept aloud again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. All right, so again, this, for, this seems kind of harsh, right? But for most of human history, women found value in being able to carry sons, okay? And so this is kind of in the background of what's going on in this story. And Naomi's saying, I, I can't have any more children, guys. And, and even if I did have children, would you wait for them to get old enough to marry you? That, that's, that's a pretty large commitment. So she's encouraging them. It's, there's not enough time. You guys go back home, find new husbands, start new families. I'm releasing you from any obligations that you have to me. And Orpah looks at her mother-in-law and says, okay, I understand. But Ruth here, we're told, clings to her. And she's saying, no, I'm not. 
going to leave you. And so we end this part of the story reading about this final interaction, this final imploring that Naomi has for Ruth in verse 15. She says, look, your sister-in-law is going back to be with her people and her gods. Go with her. And then we get this, this, I don't want us to miss this, this next phrasing that Ruth says is probably one of the most important ones in this entire book. Here's what she says. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And Naomi realized that she could not convince Ruth to leave. And so she says, okay, come. And so we have this this image of Ruth being extremely dedicated to Naomi. And I want to use this word reverence. It's not a word that we usually use uh, in our, our sentence and how we speak. But reverence is, I think, what communicates what's happening in this story. Uh, we, we, we kind of understand the idea of respect. Respect is something that we've been taught to give all people. Uh, as Christians, we give respect to people because they are made in the image of God. Right? They don't have to earn respect because God has made them to look like Him. And so as Christians, we should respect all people. And if you look in the dictionary, you see that this word reverence is kind of the next step up. It's this idea of not just respecting them because they have divine attributes, but we respect them because they matter to us. Uh, There's a third word that can kind of help us uh, understand the difference, and it's the word veneration. And that's another word that we don't typically use, but again, if you look it up, it's, it's kind of the highest form of respect and reverence. And, and I'll give you a quiz. Who's the only person that we probably should venerate in this world? Jesus, God, whoever, good job, A+. Plus. All right, gold star. No, my daughter liked that one. All right. So, so, so we have this three-tier idea, right? We have veneration, uh, we have reverence, and we have respect. And at some level, everyone deserves our respect. And then when it comes to this reverence portion, there's only certain people that should get that. And within our relationships with our spouse, they definitely deserve that. They deserve us to revere them, to honor them, to respect them above anyone else. And when we look at this story, we see that Ruth, she's not just listening to Naomi as, as this woman that she needs to respect because it's her husband's mom. All right? She is reverencing her. She's put her on a different plane. And that even as she's asking her, please leave me alone, Ruth is saying, no. I love you too much, and, and I revere you too much, and, and wherever you're going to go, I am going to go too. Wherever you end up being at, that's where I'm going to be. Death cannot even separate us. And it's hard sometimes. It's hard to revere people in this way. I mean, even in the marriage relationship, there's times where, where it can be hard to have respect for our spouse. And when they're out in public and they're doing something that you just kind of embarrasses you, it's hard to respect them. It's hard to revere them. And I think that's why you see a lot of times spouses talking negatively about each other. And I understand that marriages, they don't always work out well. 
right? Women treat men badly. Men treat women badly. And even within the marriage relationship, it can be difficult to have this level of respect. But I think if we want to honor God with our marriages, it begins with having reverence towards one another. And it begins by respecting them more than we respect anyone else in this world. And I think we see this in this story. When Naomi returns back to Bethlehem, when she gets there, all the people are excited. Naomi's return, and she says, no, no, I'm bitter. And, and we see that Naomi has returned because her life is in shambles. And she's come just to be this bitter old lady. You know, she doesn't want friends. She doesn't want to really even be around people. She just wants to live there in misery. But Ruth has come with her, and, and Ruth is going to, in the second chapter, show us the second attributes that needs to be a part of our marriages. And that second attribute is helping one another. So not only do we need to revere one another, but we need to help each other in our marriages. Uh, we read about, starting in verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, we're told that Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. And so she went out, entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So, so a couple things here that we have to understand. First, uh, women were not the breadwinners, okay? They, they, men were to do most of the provision for the family in that culture. And so when uh, you, your husband died, if you had sons, it was their responsibility to take over and provide for you as their mother. And so widows, they, they relied on their children to take care of them. But remember that Naomi has no one. She has Ruth, but Ruth also is a woman, and so they don't really have anyone that's going out and providing for them. They're literally living off the, the kindness of people in their community. And so they have nothing. And in the middle of this nothing, Ruth says, Naomi, why don't you stay home? I know you're going through a lot. Why don't you stay home, and I am going to help you. I'm going to go out into the fields and uh, in the Jewish culture, they had a law that said as you were harvesting your plants, anything that fell, you weren't supposed to go back and grab. You were supposed to kind of leave it there so that the poor of the community could come in and be fed for themselves. All right, and so this is what she says I'm going to do. I'm going to go out in the fields. I'm going to collect what, is, what they've missed. And so we have this idea of helping. See, as human beings, we have been created not to be alone. You know, we've been created to live in community with other people. In fact, when we read the story of Genesis 2, we see this God creating Adam. And then after looking at his creation, God says it's not good. He says it in, in chapter 2, verse 18, God looks at it and says, it is not good for man to be alone. And so God recognized it was not good for us to be by ourselves. And so he created a helper. And sometimes we read that and think, man, you know, that's kind of uncomfortable, women being subordinate. But that's not what helping means. Right? A helper is not a slave. A helper is not less than the other person. A helper gets the job done together. Uh, this week, uh, Kevin Barnett came into the uh, church and he began to install LED lights in some of our light fixtures. 
And he, so he climbs up on this ladder and he's working up here and trying to figure out what's going on. And I come in and I start to help him out. Uh, I don't climb on the ladder. Uh, I don't know exactly what he did electrically, but I did hand him tools and light bulbs and all that stuff. And we can ask the question, who is more important in that relationship? And, and it's probably Kevin, right? He knows what he's doing. All right. But at that time, I'm there helping him. And, and talking and probably distracting, but I'm there helping him and getting the job done quicker and more efficiently where Kevin doesn't have to come off the ladder every single time he forgets something. He can just simply say, hey, why don't you hand me that? And that's the image of a helper. It doesn't always have to be the person that's in the limelight. It doesn't always have to be the person that's on the ladder knowing what they're doing. Sometimes a helper is there handing up the things that needs to be done in order to get the job done. And when it comes to our marriages, we need to help each other in this. See, if our purpose in marriage is to bring glory to God, it means that we have to work together in doing that. If one of us is there trying to bring glory to God and the other one's doing something completely different, then our marriage is not bringing glory to God. It's only when we work together. It's only when we are helping each other do we get this glory. And for our story, it's Ruth saying to Naomi, I got this. I'm going to go make sure that we have food to eat and that we are going to survive. What does it look like in your relationship? And this is, this is where these principles, they, they aren't one of these things where I can tell you exactly how it should look. I can tell you what it looks like in mine. But how you apply it, it's going to look differently. And we just have to ask the question, am I revering my spouse? Am I helping my spouse to bring glory to God? Uh, we are introduced to this guy by the name of Boaz. And uh, Boaz comes onto the scene in the next verse, and he begins to uh, say hi to everyone. And he seems to be a wealthy man, and he seems to be well-liked. Everyone seems to respect him, and they're shouting, Hey, Boaz, hey, oh, you waved at me, that type of thing, okay? All right, so there's a lot of excitement when Boaz comes. And, and Boaz is going to uh, show us the next uh, attribute that's important in our marriages. And the attribute he's going to show us in the next couple of verses is that we need to serve one another serving one another. And we read about it throughout the rest of chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Uh, we're told that Boaz asked the overseers of his harvesters, who does that woman, young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back with, from Moab with Naomi. And she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. And she came into the field and has remained from morning until now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so what we have here is Boaz coming into his field, and, and Bethlehem's not a large town, okay? They probably know everyone. He's looking at his field. He's like, I don't know that girl. And so he asks, hey, who is this? And so they tell her about uh, her being a Moabite, her being the daughter-in-law of Naomi, and how she's helping Naomi, and how she revered Naomi and came with her to be with her. And so Boaz begins to serve Naomi as she's working in the fields. And he serves her in three different ways. Uh, in verses uh, 8 and 9, we're told this, Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. Don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work with me. 
Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whatever you are thirsty, go get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. And the first way that Boaz serves Ruth is by providing for her safety. You know, it's a harsh world that they live in. And not everyone is welcoming of people coming into their fields, but Boaz says, you can stay. And more than that, no one is going to lay a hand. No one's going to bring harm to you. And when you get thirsty, you don't have to leave. Just stay. And so Boaz serves her by protecting her from harm. Uh, We read about the next way that he serves her in verse 14. Uh, We're told at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here, have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. Uh, It got to mealtime and he notices that she has not packed anything. There's a reason why she's here. She is poor. She doesn't have food. She's trying to survive. And Boaz sees that she doesn't have her lunch out and says, hey, I got something for you. And he serves her by providing for her food. The last way he serves her is found in verses 15 through 17. Uh, We're told that as she got up to glean, Boaz gave orders to his men, saying, Let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some of the stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up and don't rebuke her. Basically, he tells them, as you're walking, you see her behind you, accidentally drop stuff on purpose. Okay, all right, and that's kind of what what he tells her to do. And so Ruth, in verse 17, gleans in the field until evening, and she threshed out the barley she had gathered, and it mattered to an ephah, which is about four gallons, which is a lot. And so we see that, that Boaz provides again and serves her by making sure she had plenty. Boaz shows us that serving needs to be a part of our marriage relationships. And men, it's serving just to serve. It's not serving an expectation of anything in return. It is serving just because. And it may look different for you, right? It might be you wash dishes just because. Or that you take out the trash without her begging you 50 times just because. I'm getting that look like I don't ever do that. So <laughs> sometimes it's folding the laundry just because. You know, service is serving them just because we care about them, because we revere them, because we want to help them. And we need to have this as a part of who we are and recognizing that service also includes providing and taking care of their safety and taking care of their needs. And if we can serve like Boaz serves, we can have homes that are glorifying God. Sometimes we are very good at serving people outside of our homes. We go to work and we serve people there pretty much without question. And then we get home and Unfortunately, something seems to switch in our brains. We get home and we'd rather be served than to serve. And we've given all of our energy outside of the home that we have nothing left to give to our families. And this is a tragedy. And this should not be because if we truly revere our family and we truly want to help our family out, then they need to be the first people we serve, not the ones that get the leftovers. And it's not always easy. 
It's not always easy to pull back a little bit when we're outside of the home so that we have something to give when we get home. But it's important because we need to serve our spouses and our families first. The uh, story continues. Naomi gets, or Ruth gets home and Naomi's surprised. Wow, that's a lot of food. We're set. And she says, who did you go to? And he, she said it was Boaz, and, and Naomi knew. And so Naomi, in the next chapter, chapter 3, is going to give us the fourth attribute uh, that is important when it comes to our marriage relationships. And that fourth attribute is this. We need to train others. In uh, chapter 3, verses one through six, we read that Naomi uh, comes up to Ruth and says, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now, Boaz, that guy, you know, with whose women you have worked, he is a relative of ours, and tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, go to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's laying, go, uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And we have absolutely no idea what Naomi's talking about here. Uh, This is one of those customs that we read and we're like, huh? And everyone that ever reads it, scholars-wise, they're like, huh? Because we have no other evidence of this ever happening anywhere in history. Okay? All right, so that's, that's that. So what is happening here is that Naomi recognizes that Ruth needs some good advice, and she says, this is how you're to do it. Wouldn't it be great if we were instantly, just, just by nature, awesome husbands and awesome wives? Wouldn't it be awesome after you said, I do, you went home and you found you had nothing no problems with each other, that there were no issues, that you never argue, never fight, never had a, a, a problems with their behaviors. But we know that that doesn't happen, and most of us that have been married, we know that that first year is pretty difficult trying to get used to living with someone else. Marriage is not always natural, and so it's important that we train each other and help each other out in this. Uh, The New Testament understood this. Paul writes in Titus these words. Uh, He says, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in their ways that they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. And then, get this, the older women, they can urge the younger women how to love their husbands. See, there's a responsibility that we have to training each other. And there's a lot of people that have been married for one, three, ten years, and they don't have it all together. And if you ask them, they will admit it. We don't have this marriage thing down. And if we're honest with ourselves, if we've been married 40, 50, 60 years, we probably don't feel like we have it all together either, do we? But you've been through a lot. To be married 40, 50, 60 years, that's an accomplishment. To be married 25 years, that's an accomplishment. That means you went through a lot. That you had hard times. There were times that you weren't always sure that it was going to last, but you made it through. 
And it's your stories that the younger generation needs to hear. It's your stories that as you see something playing out that you've gone through, that you come alongside those younger people and you teach them and you train them. And there's a responsibility within our marriage to find somebody that is older than us and to find somebody that is younger than us that is just beginning this marriage relationships and to teach and to learn. And if we can learn from what other people have to say about the situations that they've gone through, then we can learn how to glorify God even in our marriage relationships, even when it's tough, even when it's difficult, even when we feel like giving in the towel. Because we know people that were there right where we're at, and they're still together. And so we need to make it our responsibility to go out and to train and to be trained because we don't have it together. And so Naomi, she trains Ruth and says, this is what you're to do. Ruth listens to Naomi. She goes and does all these things that Ruth tells her, or Naomi tells her to do. Uh, and then Boaz does some weird things, okay? All right, so we're, gonna, we're, we're not going to really read the rest of the, ch- the chapter. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense to us in the 21st century, but I do want to kind of explain it. And throughout this, I see the final attribute that's necessary for a great marriage relationship, and that is shown by Boaz in the way that he loves Ruth. And so if we want great marriages, we need to love each other. Uh, Boaz, in chapters 3 and 4, he sees uh, Ruth at the bottom of his feet. He uh, looks at her and says, yes, I want to marry you, but there is another. There is someone that is closer to you. Remember that the closest male relative was the one to take care of the widows. And so he says, there is someone that is closer than even I am, and so I have to go and talk to him. And he didn't wait a week. He didn't wait a month. He didn't even wait a year. He went the next day. And he went to the city uh, gates uh, where all the elders would have been, and he sits down there and he begins to uh, wait for this unnamed relative. And when that relative comes, he says, hey, guess what, friend? Elimelech is dead. His property is up for sale. It can be yours for free. And the unnamed relative says, yeah, that's a great idea. I want that. And Boaz says, now, wait a second. You have to marry Ruth. And this unnamed relative, he's already married, and so he doesn't want to complicate the things. Great job. And so he says, I cannot marry her. You can have her. And so Boaz goes, and then he gets married, and everybody lives happily ever after. That's the book of Ruth in a nutshell. But we see this this love that Boaz has for Ruth where he is willing to go to extremes to marry her. He, He didn't have to. You know, he was already wealthy in of, and of himself. He didn't have to take care of Ruth when she was working in the fields. He didn't have to do anything for her. But yet he loved her. And he went to extremes to figure out if they could get married together. And so we need to emulate Boaz and be willing to love our spouses to extremes. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5 these words, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
there is one example of love that we need to have for our spouses, it's Jesus. And Jesus, the way that he loved the church was pretty spectacular. He suffered for the church. His love for the church caused him to be beaten. His love for the church caused him to be crucified horribly upon a cross. His love for the church went through death. And if we are to love our spouses in that way, it means that we have to be willing to suffer for our spouses. It means that we have to be willing to take a beating for our spouses. It means that we have to be willing to even lay down our lives for our spouses. And anything short of that is not the love that we need to have for our husbands, and for our wives. And it's not always easy. When I leave my dirty socks on the clean kitchen floor, it's not always easy for my wife to love me. It's not always easy to love her when she does something that I just like want to pull my hair out. It's not always easy for her to love me when I'm yelling at the kids and she can't even understand why. But love is what's necessary. And it's the backbone to our marriage. And if we are willing to love our wives to extremes, and if we're willing to love our husbands to extremes, even to the point of laying our lives down for them, then we can have a marriage that is glorifying God in the things that we do. Five attributes found in the book of Ruth. Reverence for one another. Are we willing to respect them above anyone else? Helping each other to bring about the glory of God in their lives. Serving one another to make sure that their needs are met. Teaching others what it takes. And loving each other even to death. And if we can work on these five attributes in our lives, if we can put them in place and implement them in our marriages, then we will have marriages that people look at and say, wow, that's amazing. And we can have marriages that people look at and ask, what is the difference? And we can have marriages that people recognize and see Jesus in, and there can be glory given to God, and the kingdom can grow because of how our true, real relationship with our spouse goes. So let's work on these five things. And let's have God-glorifying relationships with our spouses. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the story of Boaz and Ruth, these couple that just fell in love and give us the attributes to learn from. And I pray in my life, Lord, that I can love my wife in this way, that I can serve her, that I can help her, that I can bring glory to you by the way I interact with her. And I pray, God, that all of us here can find ways that we can grow better in this. I pray that we will become focused on having a relationship that glorifies you above anything else and help us when we fall short. Lord, we want your name to be great by the way we live. I ask for strength to do this. In your name we pray. Amen.